0: Moncrief on News Talk. Get on the ground and lock your fingers behind your head. Not asking twice. Wow, you must be lost or something. Cause you're way out of your league here, champ. Hey. Look, um, it's Paragon, right? Trust me on this one, kid. Just fly away. Last thing you need is to be trending on social media after I whoop your ass. Not a good look. Oh, and what would Daddy think? That was Jupiter's Legacy. All episodes of season one now streaming on Netflix. James Dempsey joins us uh, once again. Afternoon, James.
1: Good afternoon to you, Sean.
0: I did watch the first episode of this. It was like a kind of a crappy daytime drama, except everyone was wearing uh, cloaks in it.
1: It reminded me a lot of, like... Uh, and I mean this as badly as it may come across, as like you know, like <laughs> like a show from the '90s, like a kind of like as if they had made a superhero show in the '90s, just with better special effects. To be honest with you, um, it comes from it comes from a comic book that I had actually read and had liked, which was created by a guy named Mark Miller, who made Kickass and a few other things that now I can't remember off the top of my head. Mm. But this uh, TV version of it is part of like what's being called uh, the Miller Universe or Millerverse, perhaps, uh, which is. Netflix big buy-in so they have bought the rights to numerous uh, titles as created by him so there are more of these to come though I can't say they've gotten off to a very good start so it's also made by Stephen um, Stephen S.D. Knight who made Spartacus which is a show I never watched but I know did have a lot of fans and was like a very swords and sandals kind of like vaguely homoerotic (laughs) version of Spartacus with lots (laughs) of blood lots of violence and this time around um, it's just a very unusual show right it's uh, it's just not good I, uh, from the beginning like <laughs> it, it, you know it's just it's just not good but i will say i have watched all of the episodes and uh, the other person in my household liked it a bit more than i did but we watched it together me incre- me increasingly uh frustrated and him sort of increasingly willing to admit that he was wrong <laughs> but it's basically a superhero uh story Set in the nineteen, like like, late nineteen twenties and contemporary times, and it follows two timelines. And you have the story of this uh, sort of uh, rich brother, son of uh, like a steel magnate. And after the financial crisis in 1929, Black Tuesday, uh, one of the brothers played by Josh Duhamel, who uh, just doesn't quite have the dramatic chops to pull off the role he's been given here. Uh, He begins to have these visions and they are drawing him and five others towards some unspecified danger and then at the same uh, and at the same time we flash forward and cut to 90 years in the future where he and those other five to some degree have become the world's biggest superheroes and they run this uh this you know justice league knockoff yeah. called the union and they have children who are a bit unhappy right now what they're going for here is uh, is Watchmen, the TV show, this big intergenerational, very retrospective and introspective piece of uh, kind of philosophizing about the nature of super superheroism and the effect it could have on you. And what we've gotten is wigs, <laughs> wigs and capes, right? And like some of the worst wigs I have ever seen on television. And, you know, like I, I watched I watched every season of The Americans. <laughs> There's yeah. some bad wigs in that. Yeah, like, it's it some really... pretty good wigs, too, in fairness. Well, that's true. Yeah, I'll give you that. Like, basically, uh, the biggest issue I have is um, like if you read the comic books, they are supposed to have aged, even though they have like their superpowers and they're still tip top powerful people they have aged and they have become wrinkled. And instead here, you have like a version of them as young people and then a version of them with basically, particularly in the case of Leslie Bibb, who plays Grace, the kind of matriarch and also known as Lady Liberty. They've literally just put a grey, you know, shoulder-leg bob on her. Mm. And that is the only nod they have given to 90 years having passed. And other than that, it's kind of like odd. We've actually had this glut of late of superhero kind of shows, right? Like there's the boys on Netflix, or sorry, on Amazon. There's also on Amazon, what I talked about a few weeks ago, um, Invincible, which I was a bit cool about, but actually I watched to the bitter end and I really liked it by the end. It really picked up its game kind of around the the midway point and finished with a real bang. So if you want a show that's about the difficult relationships between superheroes and their fathers, that is a much, much more interesting and better show than this. This is just kind of naff and pants and like and and slow moving, despite the fact that, you know, this should be like fun. Right. But you know, because you have this these family of superheroes engaging in superhero battles. My big, big problem with it it was at no point did I ever feel I understood this world. Like, there's supposed to be this union of superheroes. I have no idea how many superheroes are in it. I have no idea who they're fighting. I have no idea. uh, Do they have support of the public or not? Do the governments like them or not? Are they vigilantes or are they considered heroes? None of that is explained. Mm. And it all leads towards this kind of big twist finale ending, which I knew was coming because I had read it but in this feels utterly unearned because they do they in no way lay the groundwork for it in any way that I saw as a viewer. And ultimately, it just was flat for me.
0: Uh, and I also thought, the, the, uh, certainly from watching the first episode, you know, the, the, like dad is as straight as a die, mom's a bit more caring, the son will never be good enough, the daughter's a screw up. It was all, and it was the cool uncle. So it was all, it was Hackney Central, really. It was nothing but a series of cliches, but with capes on.
1: Cliches with capes on, and and like you know, you can make a show with those archetypes, right? Like I mean, a thousand shows have been made with those kinds of archetypes. But if you're going to make them so ordinary, like so basically, like that, the only major difference here is that they have capes on and bad wigs. Like the truth is, they didn't execute it well enough by any stretch of the imagination, and. I'd be surprised. Like, put it this way: I wouldn't be surprised if there's a second season because it is the it's it's supposed to be the you know the 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 beginning of this whole Millerverse, you know, television universe. Yeah, I I could see a second one coming, but I won't be shooting (laughs) it. Put it that way.
0: In the Millerverse, do, do characters cross pollinate? Do they pop up in each other's stories?
1: As far as I'm aware no except for that uh, you know it, you know there was kickass the movie and one of the characters in that was hit girl and that is one of the the comic titles as far as as far as I'm aware that that series is not included in this television universe perhaps they are building for some big cross you know cross uh, cross title mega bash up but mm. uh, yeah the only people looking forward to that are wig makers yeah. to be honest. I, I, I,
0: and in in, uh, in Jupiter's Legacy do they explain at some point how these characters got their powers now I understand the second generation got it from the parents but it doesn't explain where the parents got it
1: from they do. Yeah, they yeah. do. If you And I think perhaps kind of the most striking thing and this, well, I don't know, I, I found this striking, right? When you're looking through your sort of Netflix listings of this, there's, there's eight episodes and maybe like episode one is 50 minutes. Episode two is 50 minutes. Episode three is 55 minutes. And the finale, the eighth episode is 35 minutes. <laughs> and I just think that sort of is wow. a sign of something went wrong there. Thank you. You've just
0: saved me several hours of my life, James. <laughs> All right, we'll move on to our second show of the day. It is Dr. Fin- uh, Dr. <laughs> Dr. Cassidy's casebook. <laughs> it runs on Mondays, 9.35pm. You can catch up on the player. Here's a clip. The role of any expert is that you are unbiased. So it matters not a whit to me who did it and why they did it. That's for somebody else to make that decision. I want to know who this person is and what, what they died of. I mean, I've spent my whole life living other people's last few minutes. I've just lived your last hour, his last 15 minutes, her, you know, last few days. So I'm always living slightly in the past. Now, that was Dr. Cassidy. I did make that Freudian slip of Dr. Finlay's casebook because that was quite a twee uh, show about a GP in Scotland. Dr. Cassidy's casebook, I imagine, was quite grim.
1: This was uh, also a kind of strange show, right? Like, I don't know in other countries of the world is the state pathologist a household name. And I know Mary Cassidy is no longer the state uh, pathologist. And however many murders have happened since her um, since her retirement, which, of course, are all regrettable, they haven't got the name of the current state pathologist lodged into my brain yet, but mm. I imagine that'll happen at some point. But it's just, it's kind of an interesting show that she has enough of a national profile And certainly enough name recognition that, you know, her her professionalism can lead the show. And it is a three part series in which she now retired reflects on her career and her life while also talking and commenting on a number of uh, a number of the cases that she dealt with in in her years on, on the beach, we'll say. And it's very much, for me, a show of two halves, because Dr. Mary Cassidy is, <laughs> like, for want of a better word, like, this glamour pus, right? She is just completely, like, she exudes... <laughs> glam right she's like like when she's walking around in the show it's like you're watching ads for coats in autumn for marks and spencers (laughs) that have come on tv she wears a coat very very well and she is like you can you get a very very immediate and i think authentic impression of her as this likable funny straight shooting kind of person and those parts are fascinating and interesting where she talks about her childhood as the child of Irish immigrants to Glasgow, she, like from growing up in a very working class area, being the first child in her family to go to university, deciding she wanted to become a doctor because the nuns in the convent school she went to were telling her you should become like a teacher, a nurse, or something, and she wanted to book the trend. and she she uh, she immediately identifies herself as this, you know, uh, like as as someone who who knows exactly who she is, and you know exactly who she is because of that. And that is very, very interesting. And then we go into the cases and look, I, you know, I, I for one, found it very like this wasn't what I wanted, to be honest with you, on a Monday night after a pandemic to set my week in view, because Mm. we got we went through three cases and these were like horrible, horrible murders of these three women. uh, More than three, I should say. Dolores McRae, uh, um, Sharon, uh, Sharon Whelan and her daughter, Zara and Nadia and Manuela Riedo, the Swiss student who was murdered. And it went like I mean, it didn't go into. Look, it went into detail about the last moments of their life and it was shocking, you know, and it was it was I kind of thought it was poorly judged, right, that we have had a lot of debate. There's a lot of kind of critical writing about, you know, about how murder is is editorialized and and made into entertainment and particularly how we sort of look at the murders of women when it comes especially to things that like, you know, like true crime documentaries, by and large, often the victims are young women. And and again, here we've got these women being murdered by men and men without much comment on the fact that they were three women. Now, look, I'm not going to I'm not throwing it under the bus. The show it talks, it, you know, in, in, in these three cases, the, the culprit was found and was imprisoned. And certainly justice was done. But I have to admit, I just I, I found the kind of the juxtaposition between Dr. Mary Cassidy, this straight talking, funny woman to these really <laughs> graphic violent crimes that were incredibly tragic and sad i just found it a bit off kilter for me and a bit strange
0: hmm. well there are, are i mean obviously that was episode one you're talking about how many more of them are there
1: there are two hmm. more to come so another one tonight and then next week
0: okay and so we don't know in, in the subsequent episodes is it just all women they're going to be featuring or you know are they going to mix that up a bit
1: I hope not, but the first one was subtitled, uh, I think, on natural causes. So I think we can assume, based on that, that perhaps <laughs> there's going to be natural causes or or right. something else coming down the line.
0: Okay, yeah. So maybe, yeah, maybe if they do some of the less high-profile cases you have to deal with, because... You know, obviously, she's a fairly serious pathologist as well, so maybe they can focus a bit more on her uh, on her skills, right? Okay, that's and of course you can see that on the RT player if if it works for you. (laughs) Uh, uh, Finally, uh, it's it's the welcome or perhaps not welcome return of the Handmaid's Tale. New episodes of season four every Thursday at ten fifteen on RT Two. Here's a clip. Blessed day. You look tired, Serena. Good
1: morning. I'm afraid there's no smoking in here, Mrs. Waterford. Are you gonna charge me with smoking you?
0: Well, gentlemen, I think that you're both in the wrong place. I have a meeting here with my lawyer.
1: That meeting is being rescheduled. Commander, your hearing this afternoon will also
0: need to be pushed, I'm afraid. So my rights are being curtailed already? We appreciate your patience. I don't believe you've given my wife and I much choice. Don't speak for me. Apologies. Mrs. Waterford. Right. Uh, is there a danger, James, that we might be into one season too many or indeed that maybe season three was one season too many?
1: Uh, yeah, uh, no. I kind of feel like I feel like I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm go- I, I really like The Handmade Sale. I think it is a very uh, at times very moving drama very interesting it's shot beautifully the performances are excellent but i feel like i'm like i am like a comparable to someone who's a fan of the walking dead <laughs> That i just have to see it through to the bitter end because the problem with a show like the handmaid's tale is they have created this dystopian future this you know this gilead country where uh, terrible things happen if you step out of line unless you're Elizabeth Moss as June, in which case they sort of she does all these terrible. She you know she leads people and they die. She goes off and does terrible things and leads uprisings and they give her like a smack on the wrist and and uh, mm. go on stop stop doing that June. Now look, I know it's a bit more severe than that. I, I you know and I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to. Uh, obviously, dramatic and sad stuff has happened to her as well. But the problem with a show like this is. They've created this, you know, this character played by Elizabeth Moss, who is uh, like a rebel, right? She's, She's like an underground, you know, person in an occupied country. And the problem with a serialized TV show of that is if they're going to keep her around they keep having to up the ante every time she does something, because otherwise it would feel a little bit stale. Like, it would be boring to watch a show about somebody just passing notes back and forward, even though that might be incredibly influential in, you know, taking down a a tyrannical government. But The problem is for me, a lot of this season has been a bit like, um, you know, if if you're familiar with Hunger Games, Hunger Games and the Mockingjay, like basically, you know, uh, June of Joseph, as she is now, is like the Mockingjay of of Gilead and can do no wrong and, and, and is able to pick up like a gun and shoot it, even though she's never been trained in anything like that. However, however, when it is good. It is so, so good and so, so interesting. And there are times when it is incredibly moving. The finale of the of season three, this angel's flight thing, I shed a tear and I am mm. like not one to shed a tear <laughs> in a show like this. And the other thing I really want to credit um, The Handmaid's Tale for is it makes really good use of its supporting characters. And we've had, you know, in the history of entertainment, we've had an awful lot of war movies and like war TV shows that talk about the effects of war on men and male soldiers. And this doesn't, this talks, I mean, it does in some regard, but it really talks about how war or occupation or or invasion Affects women and the roles that women get forced into and have to do to, to stay alive. And it like I, I really want to credit, particularly in this season of the show, uh, they're they're giving kind of a new arc to Janine, who's another one of the Handmaids. That's very interesting, and also to Amanda Bruegel, who's this Canadian actress who plays Rita, who was uh, the Martha, the hand like the the kind of cook and domestic servant of the Waterfords back yes. in Gilead. Yeah. And they've you know they've followed her and giving they're giving her a very interesting arc that. In you know, if we had only had two seasons, we wouldn't have had. Now, however, I think there's a limited shelf life left in in the show, and to be honest with you, they'd be better off wrapping it up sooner rather than later. Not to you know, unless they have something amazing planned for the finale, but, well, but they, yeah,
0: they kind of have to up the ante now because it's like the Gilead plot line isn't about these people who are constrained working within these households. They're now this kind of vagabond unit on the run. Uh, yeah. um, uh, and either they're going to get caught or they're not and you can't imagine if they get caught this time that they're just going to give June the old uh, slap <laughs> on the wrist really
1: <laughs> yeah I know and like uh, I know it's, but honestly but like it's still beautiful to look at it's mm. the performances are still really 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 good I just like yeah I just I, I, I guess my real concern is that if you know they're going to get it's going to go like lost right they're just not going to stick the landing it's going to go like Game of Thrones they're just not going to stick the landing and that just spoils the whole thing
0: Right. Yeah, uh, we shall see. I suppose it's very difficult to end. Uh, um, actually, a very popular series to end it properly. Uh, right. Uh, the three shows we were talking about today was Jupiter's Legacy. All episodes of season one now on Netflix. A uh, Doctor Cassidy's Casebook. That's on Mondays at nine thirty-five on RT One. Uh, though that is available on the player. And The Handmaid's Tale. Uh, new episodes of season four every Thursday at ten fifteen on RT Two. James Dempsey. Thanks a million. Thank you. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. We're going to take a break. Back in a couple of minutes.
1: Moncrief
0: on News Talk.